Today, guys, I want to talk about uh, the fact that we need more fathers. Happy Father's Day, everybody. I'm a father. This is my second Father's Day without my dad. And it's, and it's an interesting uh, time. And if you don't have your dad, you, you get it. Um, I lost my mom last year, so it's my first kind of going through a year without both parents, which is very strange. And so Father's Day is a little different for me because when you don't have something, you realize what you're, you've missed. And you understand how important the role is of those things that you don't have anymore. God didn't say, uh, you know, a woman shall marry a man and that two will become one flesh and they will separate from their families and become one. And then they'll have kids. And, and he didn't set up the whole family just because he thought, oh, what the heck, you know, there's nothing else to do, right? <laughs> there was purpose and planning in the fact for both fathers and mothers. <clears throat> but I want to talk about the need for fathers today. I want to talk about today that uh, it's more than just a man. In fact, I said earlier that I was glad that the ratio was more women here today than men. Uh, and I'm kind of glad for that because as I was studying and praying, I just felt like the Lord said, You're gonna, you, we need more fathers. And I said, well, yeah, God, come on, you know, we do. We need more fathers to step up and be great dads and be leaders. And we need fathers to stand up and be more with their kids. We need, to, we need fathers and men to stand up and take responsibility and protect and all the things that we've heard a million times about what a father should be. And what we've read in the Word, God gives us a great example of what a father does. And he says, oh, I'm not talking about the male father. I'm talking about the office or the, the purpose of a father role. And I thought, oh, okay. He's like, I, want, I need more fathers. I need more people, men and women, to become spiritual fathers in the way they treat and look at the kingdom and life. So we're going to look at that a little today. So I want to look, first of all, number one in your notes talks about the crew's responsibility. And you know me, and if you don't like it, I don't apologize, but I like to review. Because it's very important, and I know that you guys can only take so much information. And so I get up here, and I'm blabbing away for 30 minutes or an hour, and it's a lot of information to take in. But I want to review with you about what the crew's responsibility is, right? Right? Everyone wants to be on the rescue ship. If you weren't there for that Sunday, we decided as a church we're going to be a rescue vessel. We're not going to be a cruise boat, which there's a lot of churches. If you want a cruise boat church, you can go just about anywhere in town and find a cruise boat church. Um, and there's good things happening there. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to put anyone down, but I don't want to be about entertainment. I don't want to be about the, the latest event to draw people to my boat. I want people to come to my boat because they need Jesus, and I want to be ready to help them, right? I want to be a rescue vessel. We definitely don't either want to be a slave ship where the religious spirit gets so strong and they're so legalistic and it's just it's destructive. But one of the things I want you to remember about the crew's responsibility is because this isn't my job, this is our job. Church is not about the pastor doing ministry. It's the pastor's job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry in Ephesians. It makes it very clear. So you have to remember that when you're sitting here taking notes and listening, I'm not just telling you good things about what I'm going to do. I'm preaching and teaching and exhorting and encouraging you to get into your gifting and start taking your responsibility in this body to be the part of the body that God's called you to be. And the better each of us do our own working in the body, the better crew we become, right? 
Yeah, and if you've ever, um, come on, you've seen a ship where they, the crew's in mutiny, right? Right? We just we watched a little bit of Pirates of the Caribbean camp, and, you know, you, you, you know what mutiny is. And if things get out of line and people aren't doing their roles, it's chaos. And in the church, we need to find where our role is and our gifting and get it there and do it with all of our might. Amen? Are you with me? Because then, not because that's what God told us to do. We should do that out of love and just saying, God, you said it, let's do it, right? But we do that for them. We make the sacrifice and we put in the effort of sanctification and getting our hearts right and doing all this work because it's a lot of work. Remember last week we said, <laughs> we said it's easy to be, become a son of God. <laughs> it's easy to become a son of God. It's a whole different thing to walk as a child of God. And that's where the work and the effort comes in because it's a long process of renewing your mind and getting your heart to line up with God. So number one, or letter A, I want you to remember your responsibility we talked about was you need to make sure you are constantly getting a perspective change. Perspective change. You've got to see yourself different through God's eyes and his word. Remember, you are not your dysfunctional behavior. Too many of us in the church and even sitting in this room have identified themselves with the dysfunction or the thing that they don't like in their life. It's the Doug that I don't want to be. Or it's the Michelle she doesn't want to be or the Mark he doesn't want to be. We've become so comfortable with that being us that we've made it one and we don't even see a need for a war. But we declared war, right? Because we need a perspective change. We need to start seeing, God, seeing us, ourselves, through God's eyes and his perspective with the filter of the pages of his glorious word. Because you have to look at yourself through the word. The word gives you that identity in Father's Day. Oh, thank you, Father, for giving me my identity and not letting my identity rest on what my earthly father said about me or did. I happen to have a great father, but my father, one of his things was he was silent. He was a quiet guy, wasn't very deep, but man, he provided, he, was a, he loved Jesus, but he couldn't share some of the stuff. And so we would never, I never got to really talk really deep with my dad. And you know what, there's a lot of fathers out there that blew it, but every father has their issues. But I'm thankful that my heavenly father is the one now I've learned because of the help of my father he and my mother led me to understand that I get who I am through him, not through people, not through circumstance, not through pain, right? Not from this world, not from what my eyes perceive. I get my identity and who I am through the father, God. Whew, aren't you grateful for that? So we need a perspective change. You are not your dysfunctional behavior. Next thing we looked at for the crew, right? The crew's responsibility is not only to have a good perspective change and to keep that consistently looking. Oh God, you're renewing me. You're transforming me. You're metamorphosing me from the inside out. Remember from that consistent calling from the spirit of God, God's perfect spirit lives in you. And from that, you are becoming new every day, transforming glory to glory to be like Christ, right? We not only need a perspective change, but we need a reality check on our hearts, we need to constantly be having reality checks on the status of our hearts. Tend your gardens. Tend the soil of your hearts. Choose what kind of heart you're going to have. And I want to read a scripture in Ezekiel 11, 
18. You've probably heard it before, but this is when they were coming out of captivity or he, they were in captivity and they were going, God is going to be bringing them out and he was prophesying in the future about what would happen. And he said, Ezekiel eleven eighteen. he said this, they will return to it, the land, and remove all its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their hearts of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts are devoted to their vile images and detestable idols, I will bring down on their heads what they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. When I first read this verse, and I've read it many times, I I always thought, you know, God's going to give us new hearts, and so we would just all be these perfect people. But as you kind of study it, and you live in reality, and you look at the work of, of Christ, you see that this giving us a new heart is not about giving us the perfection that we're walking as perfect beings, but through Christ, we now have the opportunity to have a good heart. We have the power and the authority now through Christ to take our hearts and say, no, this is who I'm going to be. I'm going to tend the garden. No, I'm going to plant good seed in my heart. I have the power to do this. I'm not duped under sin anymore. Remember, we are supposed to, as Christians, die to sin. We are, are considered dead to sin and alive to Christ. So now, because of our death and resurrection, we have this awesome power against sin now through Christ Jesus to become the people he's called us to be. And we don't have to live in that uh, hardened heart and always rebellious heart against what God wants for us. We start seeing things differently. What Jesus did is he opened up our eyes and now we don't look at the, the laws as bad. Because what does the world look at laws? Right? Haven't you heard that when you're witnessing your friends? Like, oh, it's all about rules and regulations and what I can't do and I can't drink, I can't do nothing, how boring, and they get all on the rules part, right? Well, that's because their hearts are still old and hard. They haven't gotten a new heart. They don't see the law of how good it really is. See, when you look at the law through a fresh new heart, you go, oh, God really does love me. And he gave me those, la- those laws to save me and to keep me safe. He said, honor your father and mother because he knows what happened when you don't. He said, don't commit adultery because he knows when you have sex outside of the context of marriage, that'll mess you up physically, spiritually, and emotionally. So God was really, because he designed us, wrote this beautiful manual for us to go, if you'll just go by these rules that I put here, they're really not rules, they're just, they're, they're design instructions. I designed you. I made you. If you go by this design, you're going to be happy. Remember, put gas in the gas tank, not water. You have the freedom to put water in your gas tank when you leave church today. You have that freedom. That's your car. You can do whatever you want. But you do not have the freedom to not suffer through the consequence of putting water in your gas tank. Right? We have the freedom to go out. You could go here, go sin, go do whatever you want. But you don't have the freedom to not deal with the consequences that come when you sow seeds that aren't good. 
Are you with me? So, reality check on your heart. Ezekiel tells us that it's not about God giving us a a, a new heart in the sense that now we're perfect and we never have to struggle. Now we have this beautiful option through Christ, this availability of power and authority to now live like God wants us to live, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, to have our minds and our hearts uh, changed and to be more like him. We can truly be and walk in who we are. Aren't you glad that even though you don't feel like you've arrived, you already are a child of God? And as you continue to confess and believe that, God's not worried about your stumblings. If you're reading through us in the Bible, you'll keep noticing that God often refers to King David as, you know, a great guy, a man after God's own heart. He did everything right, right? And we know he didn't. But see, that's the beauty, is that God looks at David, and, and he had failings in his life and stumblings, but he says, he's, he's kept my commandments his whole time. So it wasn't about falling, it was about what he, how he responded to those times and what he did with that falling that made him a man after God's own heart. God's not expecting you to be perfect, he's expecting you to be on your knees before him. He's expecting you to say, oh my gosh, I messed up. He's expecting you to be humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen? All right, so let's continue on. C, uh, we talked about last week, and this is a, a cruise responsibility. And, and man, this is big time on ships. Every shipmate has their responsibilities and their assignments, right? So this one is, are you working your assignment? Are you working your assignment? This is your responsibility, not mine as a pastor. I'm going to encourage you. I will train you, help you, talk with you, do whatever I can to help you work in your assignment. But you, in your heart, have to choose two things. One, work on the assignment that God's given you in your own heart to be transformed into his likeness, to get rid, to purify that whole renewing, the whole sanctification process, right? And then you have another assignment that God's placed you within the body to be a minister of his kingdom, whatever that looks like. And we can go through all the giftings of the church. And you could be someone that just comes in and sets up chairs or turns on the lights or whatever. Or what, There's so many options in the church to do, whether it's ushering or leading a small group or prayer team or whatever. You've got to find your assignment. So my question to you is, are you working your assignment? Or have you become lazy? Have you just put that off and you're so busy with your problems that you've avoided your assignment? Remember we talked about little by little? That God's assignment is going to be little by little? He can't give you, he's not going to have you fight every enemy in your heart right now. It wouldn't work and it wouldn't happen. It would, you would be destroyed. He's going to give you one assignment at a time. So my question and my encouragement to you is that ask the Lord, what's my first battle? What do you want me to take on in this season of my life? What is it going to be? And he will be glad to tell you. And, I'm, and I know he's waiting for some of you to ask with, a, with a, a good heart and a heart that says, I'm quiet, I'm still, and I'm waiting on the Lord. Don't ask him as you're brushing your teeth, running out the door to work because you're late and you have to get coffee before you get there. I'm not referring to you, Chris. I know, I know you get coffee on the way to work all the time. I've been there too. No, but we've all done that, right? We've all said, oh God, you know, show me. I want to be more like you, but not right now. I'll make time later. I mean, how many of us got up in the morning? Oh, I'll read the Bible. Yeah, right after this. Okay, one more thing. And all of a sudden it's night and you're like, I haven't read my Bible. I did that this week camping. Like, I didn't read my Bible today. What am I doing? We get off focus. And so we need to say, God, what are you doing to me? What's my assignment? And that's why 
a lot of people say, read your Bible whenever you want, and that's totally fine, and I'm not at all going to get legalistic. But for me, and what I found through life, and it is best to do it in the morning, to do something in the morning. Make the first thoughts of your day something to do with your assignment and where your positioning is at with Christ, where your heart's at. Even if it's waking up and going, got a lot of stuff. God, how's my heart? What are you seeing right now? It's a fresh new day, but man, am I burdened? Am I stressed? If I'm stressed, what is it? Let's talk about this. Let's, God wants to meet with you in the morning like he did Adam and even walk with you in the cool of the day and say, hey, what are we going to do today? How's your heart? What's going on? What's your perspective look like? What's your attitude looking? Are you humble? Are you getting distracted? Or like uh, Teresa said, are, are, what, what, what have you been putting before your eyes? King David says, I will put nothing evil before my eyes. That was a big deal for David because he knew the Psalms is full of awesome teaching, but uh, that's in the Psalms. Don't put anything before your eyes. Be careful what you put before your eyes because it's the window gate. And then D, we're going to get in today. My question to the crew, because in a crew, everyone has their assignment, but in a crew, are you being a good father? And I love asking that question to a room full of mostly women. Not just guys, but are you being a good father? You see, in a crew, there's a line of command, and someone's usually having someone under them that they mentor, that they're raising up, right? And then they have someone over them that they're accountable to, that they have to answer to, right? And I believe the church is the same way. I think all of us need to have someone that we're mentoring and bringing along. Think about a father. I mean, in a typical, a good father, you know, I got three kids. I wish I, I would do things over, right? But my job as a father was to get them to understand who they were and to eventually send them off into the world so that they wouldn't get beat up or eaten alive, right? So to get them ready for the world. Well, what do you think we're supposed to do in the church? We got new believers coming in here being born again. Babies. We're to train them up, disciple them, and as good fathers, we're to oversee and make sure that these kids that come in as baby Christians are ready to go back into the world and take on all that the enemy is going to throw towards them because Jesus promises persecution, right? And so good fathers, and remember, it's the role of fatherhood, not, the, not male, female, and I have some different things about God that people may not like or whatever, but I believe that God's personality and, and who he is in the, in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are multi. I mean, he's got every perspective and angle you could imagine. I believe there's part of the, the mother instincts that's part of God's personality and the Father. I think it's, he's all of it wrapped into one. And so in that, he's called us to be like him, and we as Christians, followers, need to take on the attitude and the heartbeat of, I've got to become an, a helper to someone to raise them up to the next level and move them on so that they can go out into the world and be victorious, right? Because too many times churches don't do this. Churches have events and cool things and they get lots of people coming and they have a lot of uh, ministries, but there's not a whole lot of getting people ready to really face the world because most, a lot of churches get there and they're doing their thing, but half, when half the church or more is getting divorced and on drugs or having sex outside of marriage and living with their girlfriend or, and who, or whatever else is there, it, our church doesn't look different than the world. Our churches should look, should our churches look different than the world? 
I mean, if you're reading through us in, in, in 1 Kings and Chronicles and all that with uh, Solomon and all the kings after, what was God getting mad at all the time? You're being like the people I just kicked out of here. You guys are all looking to the people around you and you're being like them. That's the big complaint God had. I told you to go in the land and wipe everyone out. And you didn't. And I told you if you left anyone, they were going to ensnare you back into idolatry worship. Now they have. And so your hearts are constantly going back. Oh, I want to be like the people around me. I want to worship their idols. I want to be like them. And God's like, you can't do that. You need to be distinct. You need to be different. You need to stand out. And we as a church need to do that. And so we need fathers. We need fathers. We need more fathers in the church, role-wise, and that includes all of us in this room, to be better, number one bullet point is better examples. And I want you to think in the ministry role as being a, a leader or a mentor. And, and we can call it mentor instead of father. All of us should be mentoring somebody. If you're not, you need to take that to the Lord and say, Lord, my pastor just said I need to be mentoring or discipling someone. Is that true? You ask him. I know he's going to stand up for me because it's his, it's his word that I'm preaching, not my own. It's not my idea. So ask him that. And if, and if he says, yeah, he's right, then you need to say, okay, God, help me get someone to mentor and then also help me find someone that will mentor me because we all need that. One thing I've noticed in the last year without my dad is that I feel like there's mentory absence in my life. Like I don't have that solid rock dude even though he didn't talk much, I knew when I gave him a hug or said hi or talked to him on the phone, like, how's it going? Good. And I was just like, yeah, that's my dad. He said, it's good. It's good. You know, we need, we need, I needed, I needed uh, my, my father to say, you can do it. My father was present. He, he was present. He was at, he was quiet, but he was there. Every game I had, my, my parents were the biggest basketball fans that I had. I played high school and college and they almost went to almost every game. And so they were present. So we need fathers, we need people, mentors, to be better examples. Someone who shows you how to do it. Someone who leads by showing and living the life. You, know, you can be a mentor, an example, uh, with not necessarily having a prescribed person by name that's following you, but you can be a mentor and a good father by living a righteous, holy life before God. Because church, as we know, kids look to their dad and their mom, and they do what they see. And non-Christians are going to be looking at you, and they're going to say, that's what a Christian's about? Why on this God's earth would I want to be a Christian? If that's what a Christian's like, I don't want to be it. Or they look at them and they go, wow, how did they go through that pain or suffering or whatever is going on in their life and still have a good attitude? I want to find the secret for that. Because I just went through something, and I about lost my, my stuff. But they didn't. And they go, Teresa, how did you do that? How did you go through that trial? And Are you with me? So by example, we need more fathers, more mentors to be good examples, people that show you. Think of that. I want you to get that out. You need to be showing people by the way you live and the way you love God, the way you worship God. Do you know that people are even looking around during a worship service? Right? I'll never forget I was holding my uh, oldest son. He was like maybe 15 months. And we were in church. And I was in the front row. And we're singing. And I'm worshiping like this. 
And, and God taught me something that day about the power of example uh, because Justin was there and, and, all, and it, was a great, it was a great worship team, full band, everyone packed church, rocking out, everyone's jumping around just praising Jesus. And I'm praising God and I'm just worshiping. And, as I, and the Lord just prompted me and I just looked down and, and Justin was just staring at me. And he, was putting his, you know, he put his hands up and he was watching me. He was watching me, looking to see what I'd be. And people are watching you in this room. Are you going to be a, a person that sits there during worship? Is that the best you can do and not do nothing? Okay, that's okay every now and then. But it's not okay as a normality. People are looking to you as Christians to say, that's, that's as excited as you get about the creator of the universe? And, and you all said he shows up to your meetings. It don't look like it. I mean, you say he's here and he lives inside of you. I've seen you more excited about mowing your lawn or working on your car or going to Disneyland than I see you excited in church. You're a hypocrite. It's the reality of life. We, need to, we are an example. Church, you're an influencer no matter what you think. No matter if you think you're a zero leader or a ten leader. You're an influencer. You are influencing someone in your life either towards God's glory or away from it. And so don't forget. And it's not just church. Let's not talk about driving. Right? I'm not talking about driving because that's not one of my strengths. I'm going to talk about my strength, which is worship. Come on. But don't get me on, you know, turning in a lane where there's a lane for you to go and, you know, people stop and you're, never mind. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Jen's laughing at me. All right. So we need more examples and we do need more fathers to be true mentors. The difference between being an example and a mentor is a mentor is one who not only shows you, but leads you in it. He, he just doesn't show you how to do it or be an example. He says, here's how I do it. Now let me help you and walk you through doing it. Okay, let's talk about this. Let's get a philosophy around this. Let's help you understand your weaknesses and strength. Let's get some structure in there. And so a mentor brings the showing example, but he also brings the leading and actual hand by hand. Like the Holy Spirit is our mentor, right? He's the paraclete, Greek meaning the one that comes alongside of us and Hand in hand, he's helping us, he's walking with us. We all need a mentor in our life to help us get through the tough situations in life. So we need more Christians, more people in this room to be mentors, examples and mentors. And thirdly, we need fathers to be better at accountability. So this is a quality that we are looking for in fathering. And you're a woman here today, you are going to be a spiritual father for somebody right? But we need to be better at accountability, right? And that means that you've got to learn how to ask tough questions when you don't feel like it. You've got to learn to ask the tough questions in love, no matter how you feel. That's the hardest part. I remember I had a youth group and a pretty successful youth group and had about Oh, probably 15 leaders from the youth group that were, would meet on Sundays for like a Sunday school, but it was a leadership class. And I was having them journal like we journal here, but I was making it a, you better journal, you know, in love, right? You got to journal. Well, I don't want it. It's too hard. No, it's, this is the discipline. You got to do it. So they're all working hard to journal. And it was a simplified journal plan. And, and I had one guy come up to me and he's like, I don't know if I can do it, Pastor Doug. It's just, 
it's too hard. I'm like, what? what's, what's hard? He's like, I, I get up in the mornings and I get my Bible out and, and I start to read and I just, and I go, I'm just reading because Pastor Doug wants me to read. This isn't even right. I, I shouldn't even do this. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I go, look, it's okay to start out that way, but don't continue that way. Like, if, if, if it takes me getting on you to read your Bible, let that be a motivation and get your Bible out. But then when you open your Bible, go, you know what? I'm going to read just because I love God. It took me, yeah, I, maybe, maybe pastors, you know, getting on me a little, help me get out of bed and open the Bible. But I don't have to read it now in spite. Oh, King David, oh, he's stupid. <laughs> this is dumb. I'm not going to write another. I can say, oh, God, I'm here now. This silly pastor that's ride me to do this because he wants me to be a leader made me get here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read now because I want to know you personally. And, it, and you can see it click in his mind like, oh, yeah, I don't have to read my Bible mad at you, do I? No, you don't. <laughs> I'm just trying to get you to do it, you know, motivation. So we need to be better at asking tough questions. Proverbs 28, 23, one of my favorites, says this. Whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor rather than one who, f- who has a flattering tongue. Proverbs 28, 23. Sometimes, and this is hard, this is the hard part of being a father or a mentor, is when you have to have tough discussions with people about their life. And you need to confront. A lot of us don't like confrontation. We'd rather avoid that. And especially because we approach confrontation in thinking that, I have to have everything perfect in my life before I can go tell Mikey to read his Bible. So if I haven't read my Bible today, then I for sure can't tell Mikey to read his, right? And that's, that's decent. I mean, we need to live that life. But sometimes it's not about you are not comparing yourself to me. You're doing it because God's asked you to do that. So I remember you know, sometimes having to ask people, hey, how's the reading going? And, I, and, I, and that morning I hadn't read my Bible. You know, and I, I felt guilty. And at first I said... I don't think I'm going to ask him because, you know, I'm not, I haven't read yet. So therefore I'm not qualified. And the Lord said, stop it. You're not, this isn't about you. You're just encouraging them to read the Bible. Accountability is a good thing. Accountability should be a friendly thing. In fact, we all need, and especially I find in fathers and men, women too, but we need accountability. We need an accountability partner that's going to ask us tough questions that no one else is going to ask. Right? So, Part of the crew, we need fathers that are going to be good examples, mentors, and good at accountability. And I put lastly four there. We need fathers that are just present. You know, too many fathers today are not present. We got so many people working jobs and doing so much, and that's the biggest regret. I was reading an article that fathers wish that they could spend more time with their kids, and they all knew they were. It's like 80% or some high percentage of men that felt like they weren't being present enough. And so, you know, church, we need to be more present with each other, too. We, and I don't mean just being there in the moment. I mean more about loyalty. I mean, we need better leaders and teammates that will stick around when no one else wants to. We need fathers that are going to be there. Because once you're a father, you can't get out of it. I mean, you can try, but you're, you know, you're the dad no matter what, right? We need to think of that more in the body of Christ, that when we develop relationships and mentor someone or someone comes in a new believer, we need to go, hey, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to live this life. I'm going to be present with you. I'm going to be loyal to this. And we're going to go through this, even if it gets hard. 
You can't control them if they leave. They, you know, you can't do that, but you can always love. You're, you can always respond in love and acceptance. Hey, come on, let's do this. Let's get back on track. Are you with me? So we need to be better at accountability, asking the tough questions. Because your true identity does come from the Father. We talked about that before. And to be a good father, to be a good father, to, to get better in all these areas, we need to know that your identity comes from the Father, capital F, not a father, lowercase a, lowercase f, right? Your identity comes from the father, not your current father. Because, you know, there's a lot of fathers in this world, and there's some good ones and bad ones, but they all have their issues. And a father's job is to help the child see themselves as the heavenly father sees them. He's there to get them ready for the world. And unfortunately, some of our biggest wounds come from our lowercase fathers. And see, you know, we're talking about needing fathers today, but what I'm really getting at is that we are a rescue ship, and we all need to be good at dealing with wounds. We need to not only be dealing with our own father wounds and other wounds, before we can really help someone else that's going to come in here with big wounds. There's going to be a lot of people, guys, that are going to come into this church, and, and if you're concerned about this church, then your eyes aren't on Jesus. God's got this church figured out. He's got our tomorrow figured out. Our job is to get ready and be prepared. That's it. So get ready with me, be prepared, and be ready to handle wounds. First of all, you've got to start working on the old wounds that you've shoved down and haven't dealt with. And secondly, you need to be ready to walk someone else through a healing of their wound. If we can't do that in church, we shouldn't even do church. That's what church should be primarily about, is taking in the sick. Jesus came, I, I came to seek and save those who were lost. I came to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up the wounds. Jesus was about uh, healing brokenness and making whole. That's what Jesus' calling was, and he's given that call to me and you. A crew must be certified in DFW. You guys know what that is, right? Nope. Deep father wounds. I made it up. <laughs> DFW care is deep father wounds. Most, the biggest percentage of people coming into this church from now until whenever that is, the biggest percentage of hurt and woundedness is going to be unforgiveness. The biggest wounds are going to be unforgiveness. And that's going to be towards others, God, and themselves or yourself. Those are the three areas of unforgiveness. And I tell you, church, if we as a church don't deal with that in our own hearts, we're not going to be prepared to help others get out of that because unforgiveness is one of the biggest traps of the enemy and is going to get you trapped in a season of hurt and pain. And you're going to be wondering what's going on. And I've, I've seen and read that about 80% of most health-related issues come from a spiritual root of unforgiveness. Now remember, that's unforgiveness towards others. Now we all have that to some degree that we've dealt with. Unforgiveness towards God, which most people don't grasp. And an even sneakier one is unforgiveness towards yourself. And that's really hard to get under because do you know that it is considered sin to hold unforgiveness towards yourself? It is sin to hold any unforgiveness towards God. 
And it is sin to hold unforgiveness towards others. I want to read a part out of Matthew. I forget the chapter here, but it's verse 21 of one of the chapters. You'll, you'll remember it. It's the parable of the unforgiving servant. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, he said in verse 23, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's more money than all of us have combined forever. And since he could not pay it, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, you see, he couldn't pay it. He knew he couldn't even pay it. But out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that he had take, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. and They went and reported it to their master, all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you have not had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also, my heavenly Father, Jesus says, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If that doesn't rock your world to investigate and jump into the condition of your heart towards yourself, others, and God, I don't know what will. And many people stay in bondage. They, they have salvation, they believe in God, they attend church, but they have unforgiveness, and they wonder why their life is a mess. And the number one thing we need to do and work on when people come in is making sure they understand forgiveness. Making sure they understand what it means to truly forgive others and to forgive themselves and to remember what God has forgiven them from. I want to look in closing at six keys to remember when treating these patients. Now, these are going to be given, I'm going to give, did I give them in? Yeah, this is going to be you reminding people that coming in that you're going to be the crew, we're the crew. When new people come on the ship, we're going to be helping them with this, right? So, but this is also for you. So I want you to personalize each one of these. So when I say remind them, you need to remind yourself. Because each, if you don't deal with your unforgiveness, you're going to have no place helping others. And you're going to be sick, tired, messed up. You're going to, you, you give the enemy an open door and a right to mess your life up when you have unforgiveness. That's, I mean, if you can't interpret that from the scripture I don't read, we need to go over basic hermeneutics. Jesus said, my heavenly father will do the same thing that this king is doing to him if you don't forgive your brother. Just meditate on that. That's a tough one to swallow. 
God, I thought you were God of love. Well, he is. He's helping you, remember. All right, six things, and we'll close. We'll get out of here, and we'll go celebrate your fathers or do whatever you're going to do or get a steak, right? Steak, right? Okay. All right. Number one, remind them, and remind yourself, you can put that in quotes, remind yourself of how much they've been forgiven. So the, the first key is to remember, when you're dealing with unforgiveness, the first thing you've got to remember is that you deserve death. You have a debt so large that you could never pay. It doesn't matter who you are on the planet. doesn't matter how rich you are, Bill Gates, the Amazon owner guy, whoever it is, doesn't matter. You don't ever have the uh, way to get enough money to pay back what you owe. Because once you've broken the law, you broke the whole law. And exponentially speaking, there is no way out for you except Christ. So don't ever forget how much you've been forgiven. And when you look at, and so when your patients come into this triage center on our ship and they're ticked off at someone that really hurt them, you got to say, hey man, aren't you thankful that God has forgiven us, man? We've been forgiven such a huge debt and they and you and me need to be reminded of how much we've offended God and what that looks like and means. Does that make sense? I know you guys get a pretty easy one, but it's a good one to remember. Number two, the person you hurt or that hurt you sinned against God, not you. The person that hurt you has sinned against God, not you. Why is this important? You know, too many people think that when someone offends them or hurts them, that they've sinned against them. And they really haven't because you can't sin against a human. You can only sin against God. So when you, if you think that they've sinned against you, you immediately put yourself in the position of, I'm God. I'm God. They've sinned against me. Now, since I'm God, I'm going to judge them. And I'm going to pronounce judgment. And I'm also going to ensure that they get punished. Because they sinned against me. But if you understand that they've sinned, what they did was awful, and it hurts you. It's not a question of did they hurt you, or was it mean or evil. It's, It's all those and more. But the sin part, you've got to understand, you've got to keep yourself human and not God, and keep God not human and God. Because when you mix those roles up, oh, you screw this whole thing up. The biggest problem with unforgiveness is people thinking they're God and they're going to bring vengeance, and they're going to bring justice, and they're going to make sure it all gets paid back. That's one of the traps. So make sure that you understand, and your, and your person in triage understands, that the sin, although this is a tough conversation, they've sinned against God. And don't forget that the, as bad as you feel and as angry as you feel at what happened to you, you got to understand this. They did that to the Father. And the Father's not like, oh, no big deal, I'm God. No. That hurts him more. Don't you? It's better for you that they sinned against God for your sake, for getting justice. Because if it was just you and God's out of the picture, who knows what'll happen? You may never get justice. Psalms fifty-one four says this: David said, "Against you, and you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight." So when King David messed up. He, heard, he, he had the Hittite killed. He, was a, he, was a, he lied, he cheated, he murdered. But when he was standing before God, he says, it, it, what I did was against you and you only. I've, sinned, I've hurt other people, but I've sinned against you. 
So remember that. Think about that because you start playing God, you get into big problems. Number three. Number three, remember that you need to release the right to render and enforce judgment. When you're dealing with unforgiveness, you have to get the concept in your heart that you are giving up the right to render judgment and enforce judgment. The judge is the one who gives the penalty, right? The judge decides what the punishment is. You and me don't get to decide what the punishment is. If you and your heart are thinking and wanting and designing punishment for the person that hurt you, that's a red flag that you are playing God. That is not your role. That is idolatry. You, now you are in a more grotesque sin than they are because you're raising yourself above God thinking you can do a better job than him. Dangerous place to be, church. Satan got himself in a lot of trouble by doing that. I will be like the Most High. I will ascend above. I will. I will. When you hold unforgiveness, that's exactly what you're doing. That's why it's such a big deal. Romans 12, 19 says this, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You got to get this concept in your heart. This is how we treat and help people getting vengeance isn't yours. If you're wanting vengeance, you're playing God and it's not going to happen and you're going to get yourself in a whole mess of trouble because the more you try and get vengeance, the more you're taking on that sin and that growth and it's going to infiltrate you and make you sick and tired and messed up. You're bringing more punishment on yourself than the person who hurt you by doing it your way. If you want to really let that person get what they deserve, quit playing God. Let God do the vengeance. He'll take care of it. If you try and take care of it, you're going to end up hurting yourself more than that person anyway. Are you hearing it? Yeah? Okay. I know this isn't the funnest thing to talk about because their fathers, there's a lot of screwy fathers. In fact, me and Jen were just with someone a few days ago and hearing the horrendous story of what their father did. Unbelievable. But God is bigger than that. And his grace and love, his power supersedes that. And the, God will take what was meant for evil and turn it into good and his glory and will do awesome things with it. But you got to trust him. You got to trust him to be God and not you. <laughs> Hebrews 10.30 goes on, kind of says the same thing. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Again, he says, The Lord will judge his people. Not you, not me. We don't get to judge. We don't get to play judge. God is the judge. Psalm 7.11 says this, God is a just judge. And God is angry with the wicked every day. So don't you think, number one, that God won't be just and fair? Because a lot of us think we play God because we think we can do a better job of making sure the person gets paid back than God can do it. But don't you forget that God is just and fair and you and me cannot be just. As much as you think you might, you don't know the whole picture. You don't see it all. You're not smart enough. You don't have omniscience. You don't have all the things that God has to make a very just call. 
You can't make it, and nor do you want him to make it on you. Do you want God to be just with you? I want mercy. Not justice. God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. You need to know that. Your, your patient needs to know that. You know, God is angry about what happened with you. That hurts his heart. He's mad at that. And he's going to make sure that all, that all gets taken care of to perfection. But what he's going to need from you is you're going to have to trust him that he knows better than you, even in your hurt. And if they can release that to God and say, oh, man, I've been so angry. I've wanted that person to suffer. When I think about their name, I think of evil things that could happen. When you start doing that, you allow other spirits. You've all remember my murder story with my first wife, right? You're probably freaking out if you haven't heard it. Everyone remember that? Where a spirit of murder came in because I, I, I wanted my ex-wife had, had cheated against me, cheated on me, so I was obviously angry. And I would think things like, well, you know, if she drove home and hit a tree and died, it wouldn't be my fault. So I'd basically get out of this thing. You know, it's, it's called fantasy. It's called things that you just let go in your mind. You all have, you all doing this. This is the battleground, by the way. And so what the Holy Spirit said is, you invited a spirit of murder in your life. Not me. Yeah. And he reminded me of all, all the, he brought up thoughts that I haven't even thought about for years. He said, remember when you, you know, I was like, oh, oh my gosh, I did think that. I thought that was such an innocent little thought that had made no difference. An innocent thought that was just, I had the right to think it, right? My wife committed adultery on me and got pregnant. That's an evil act. God's mad at that. So for me to think that she would get paid back for that, what's wrong with that? That was the trap. The enemy wanted me, and so I invited that spirit of murder to go, yeah, you know what, if she gets killed, no big deal. And God said, you need to repent of that. You need to call your ex-wife and apologize for that. And you need to command that spirit of murder out of you now. Whoa. Yes, Lord. Like, I want nothing to do with that. So this is real, guys. This isn't just a sermon. This is life. This is real stuff that's happening in your hearts now and in your lifetime. And if, you have, and if anyone hasn't offended you or hurt you, yeah, right? You're not here dead, right? <laughs> My old pastor used to say, if you haven't been hurt or offended, stand up and we want to invite you into the family and get you hurt and offended. No. (laughs) All right, number four. Remind your patients that this is a huge trap. You've got to understand that the whole unforgiveness, and this kind of helps people get out of the bondage of unforgiveness when they understand that the enemy is duping them into him getting more influence in their life. This will help you too, by the way, because if you have someone, if I were to mention someone's name to you right now, would it curl your hair up and make you mad or raise your blood pressure if I mentioned someone's name from the past? Well, remember, the enemy's trying to trap you. He's trying to trick you. He's trying to get you to play God and take care of this yourself. And that's going to give you all kinds of problems. Ephesians 4.26 says this. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. The Greek word topos, space. 
You don't want to give the enemy any part of your heart or life. You don't want to allow that seed to be planted in your heart. And when you let the sun go down your anger and you're mad, you're allowing the enemy to put a seed in your heart. See if it'll spring up something that he can use. He wants to control your heart, guys, because that's where it all is happening. So remind yourself and your patience that, God, this is a trap. The enemy wants you to get trapped into playing God. Don't do it. It's better for you to trust him. God's a just judge. He's mad at the sin. He's here for you, and he wants to make this good. So don't forget. Number five, when you're trying to forgive and you're going through this process, we need to remind ourselves and our patience that we need to confess what we're believing for. Right? We know confession's powerful. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, confession. We need to confess our sin, right? It's healthy. How about confessing what you want to happen? Lord, I forgive so and so. When their name comes up and your hair turns and your eyes get bloodshot and your, your fist crunches and you're remembering what they did and you start having thoughts come up that says, Oh, I wonder, I hope they're suffering. Oh, their marriage is never going to work. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And you're thinking of all these bad things. You need to stop yourself and go, I'm not falling for that trap. In fact, God, right now I want to speak blessings over that. The book of James says, Out of the same mouth comes blessings and cursings. Brothers and sisters, this ought not to happen. James said that in James 5, I think. And so we need to understand that blessings and cursing can't come out our mouth. We can't think of someone from the past and have anger and hatred. That's not the Spirit of God living in you. That's not how a child of God walks. You might be a Christian, but do you want to walk like one? Well, this is where it gets tough. So confess what you believe for. Trust me, I've done that on several people including my ex-wife, including an ex-pastor that I worked for, where I started, when I thought of it, I would say, Lord, I want you to bless this guy in Jesus' name. I pray, God, that you would just fill him up with a new, a, a, a new attitude. I pray for his family that they would come as one. I pray for him and his wife that they get along. I pray for a new career, job, whatever it was. I would bless, bless, bless. And every time the enemy tried to lure me into a trap, I would reverse it on him and say, oh yeah, you want to play this game? I'm not playing God. In fact, Lord, would you bless so-and-so, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would convict them and show them a new way. Show them something they can't see right now in the Spirit. Help them get some revelation or illumination from the Word. Help them uh, repent. Do whatever needed. I just speak blessing on them. You know what? Satan got kind of tired of that. Because every time he tried to trap me, I would speak out blessing and confess healing. And I would confess I'm doing it God's way no matter how it feels. And after a while... Devil ain't stupid. I mean, he's stupid because he's the devil, but he's smart in a lot of ways. And he knew once I got the click in my brain that every time I was lured with that thought to go negative and I went positive, he says, well, I'm not going to, I got to try some new strategy because that ain't working no more. Because it worked for a while. I suckered in, and, but once I realized that, he realized that, no, everything changes The power of unforgiveness is like nothing you've ever understood. I mean, think of the whole whole Christian idea is all based around one man coming down from heaven, taking on every evil thing that happened on his very spirit self personage, and then saying, I forgive you. I release you from punishment. 
And I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to not only release you, I'm going to take your punishment on my own body so that you can be freed from this evil thing that you did. The evil thing that person did to you, they did it to Christ. And if you don't release that and, and confess that as truth and you try and take on that, you're trying to play Jesus. And that's blasphemous, guys. You trying to be Christ, not a good road to take. So trust God as hard as it is. Confess with your mouth. Speak out what you know. Even though you can't feel it, see it, you blindly by faith trust God's word and you say, I'm going to agree with your word no matter how I feel, no matter how it hurts, no matter how evil it is. And God, I trust you that you're going to make it all right and it's all yours. Here you go. And I speak blessing over that person because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous. No, not even one. We are all like filthy rags. We all deserve death. Don't you ever forget that, crew member. Patience. Number six. Patience. Forgiveness is a process. I wish it was a one-time act and it would be all better, but it's not. Mark eleven twenty three says, For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to that mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that those things that he says will be done, will have whatever he says. If you want forgiveness, be patient with yourself. It's a process, and you're going to have to speak to that mountain every day. Or like me, every five minutes. I had to speak to the mountain. I did it once, thought it was over. Five minutes later, the thought comes back. Come on, God, I just... He said, this is the battle. It's a process. You've got to renew your mind. You've got to really believe what you're saying. Remember I talked about confession and, uh, and really believing, in fact, that... Or repenting, sorry, it was repenting. Remember we talked about repentance was not just saying, I'm sorry, God, for sin, but it was changing the perspective on how you viewed sin. Remember, it was the whole process of not just saying you're sorry and not just saying, God, I'm going to change my direction, but you not only are walking one way... You repent, you think differently about what you're doing, but then you start walking back in the way of God, which is a, a sign of, no, God, I not only repent and I don't want to do that sin, but I now see why you don't want me to do that sin. I see your wisdom and the word of God coming alive, and now what I thought was, don't, I can't do this, don't tell me what to do, you're in, I'm in control, you're not God, right? We're fighting, and then I turn around and go, no. You are in control, and your word is for me, not against me. It's, it's to help me, not punish me. It's, it's to give me joy, not, not, not be against me. So you start seeing it the way God sees it. That's what forgiveness is about. Forgiveness is about turning around and going, oh, I see that person differently. Because this way, I see them as evil, blah, 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 negative, bad, and then I turn around and I go, oh my gosh, what they did was so wrong and evil and, and awful and God's going to take care of that. But I did evil stuff that I deserve death for too. But, but now I see this person differently because they need Jesus just like I do. You know, compassion was one of Jesus' best strengths. And, and, a lot, and a lot of his miracles and power came out of a heart of compassion. 
And if we can't have compassion for the people that hurt us, we can't be like Jesus. Jesus had compassion for you. While you were a sinner, Christ died for you. While you were against him, he was bleeding on the cross, whipped, crown of thorn, all of the stuff you know of. He was enduring the pain of the cross knowing that you were against him and and a sinner and you were against who he was. And he did it anyway. You know why? Because he loved you. And one of the true ways you can get through forgiveness and it's part of the process is that you get to a point where you start seeing this person different and you start seeing them through God's eyes and not your, your hurt eyes or your experience eyes or your flesh eyes. You begin to see them through Jesus. You go, if it weren't for grace, there go I. Amen. 